Um, after year one, he said, you know what? You guys should use armored cars. We're gonna study this more and try to come up with a solution. After year two of a very expensive report, um, they said, we don't have a solution. Uh, the federal government will have to change their laws. Um, also, there was one paragraph in there that said cryptocurrency has been suggested, but it doesn't work. And they did not explain why. I could not find any sources or citing on cryptocurrency in this 127-page document. I've never heard, um, I checked with as many businesses as I could, no one was reached out to in the industry from the people who provided this report to the state government. And I said, that's bullshit. Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Ethereans and Bitcoiners listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? I see what you did there. You switched Bitcoiners with Ethereans. I don't know if I'll stand that. It was, it was an accident. <laughs> of course. Uh, David, doing great, man. We actually uh, were just hanging out in IRL up in Tahoe this weekend. Thanks for coming down. Yeah, fun weekend. It's always a pleasure when... Uh, me and Christian are able to put a selfie on Twitter and tell everyone that we actually do hang out and be friends with each other. Yep. I mean, obviously being friendly is a lot less entertaining, so let's keep it competitive here on the pod. But you guys, really excited to bring you this interview. This one was definitely a little bit different than our usual interviews. We sat down with the mayor of Emeryville and the executive director of the Blockchain Advocacy Coalition. Ali was absolutely fantastic. She dug into a ton of different points around you know, what's happening in the regulatory environment around cryptocurrencies and what are regulators focusing on, especially here in California. David, what was your favorite part of the interview? For me, the favorite part of the interview was how obvious it was that Ali has uh, explained blockchain and cryptocurrency to so many people that are probably not tech savvy. Uh, and I mean, I feel like I do that a lot, but I can't imagine uh, what her job entails with having to explain, you know, what Bitcoin is, what a smart contract is, what a stable coin is to people that, you know, probably weren't really ready for things like Uber or Airbnb. So, you know, getting that perspective from her and what that's like was was super interesting. She is wicked smart. She has a ton of data to just spit out at the top of her mind. And, you know, you know that she loves this. Uh, this is not somebody that got forced into a job to be the politicians surrounding cryptocurrency and blockchain stuff she it sounds like she just willingly took this on and and probably loves just spreading the spreading the gospel of blockchain yeah i think my favorite part was you know how committed she is to making san francisco making the bay area making california a really hospitable place for businesses to thrive you know Ultimately, I think that the people that are in this industry are looking for freedom and looking to maximize, you know, business. And uh, I think that's why this this industry is going to thrive in general. Um, but without further ado, Ali Medina, I am really excited to bring you a very special guest to the podcast. This is Ali Medina. She is both the mayor of the city of Emeryville and the executive director of the Blockchain Advocacy Coalition. Ali, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and uh, tell them a little, about, a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, yeah. As mentioned, I 
um, in politics, both as an advocate for better blockchain regulation and policy, and also as the mayor of the small city of Emeryville, which for Bay Area listeners is where the IKEA is. Uh, <laughs> the only thing people know. We also have Pixar, I should note. Um, I have been yeah. to that IKEA. That's where uh, hey. that's where my dresses are from. I before I was elected to the Emeryville City Council in 2016, uh, which was a really weird election night for me personally. Um, didn't entirely end up the way I wanted it to. Um, and I ran basically because I'd been working in politics for about eight years on various campaigns. Oh my god! And I um, sorry, my earphones just fell out. I ran because um, I really wanted to promote better transportation quality and um, labor practices in the city. And I'd been working, you know, in the political world for long enough where in a city of 12,000, I felt I had something to offer. So I was encouraged to run, went ahead and did it. We have what's called a weak mayor system. So we rotate who the mayor is every year. So it's fun to say that I'm the mayor, but we've only got about nine more months of that. And then I will go back to just being a regular old council member. So get it in while you can. Um, and I started out in blockchain a little over a year ago, actually, um, when blockchain started to dominate news cycles. That wasn't why. Um, Jason Wong, who had been part of the San Francisco Democratic Party, he was the proxy for Fiona Ma, who's currently our state treasurer, for Phil Ting sometimes, who's an assembly member. He had been apparently working in crypto for years, and none of us ever knew what his job was. And um, he invited me to come talk to them about regulation because they were looking to mimic in California what had happened in Wyoming. I got invited to this dinner party with a bunch of lasagna and cryptocurrency person, people. And um, I was really fascinated by all the projects they were working on. And I just thought it was a great opportunity to do something really innovative. Um, and I know that government has sucked at keeping up with technology. I saw the Facebook hearings. And I just, you know, as somebody who came of age in politics in San Francisco, I knew we could do it better and I wanted to be that, to be that person. Um, so we started researching everything. We helped pass two bills last year um, in California, AB 2658, which established the state's first blockchain working group, which is being put together right now, and SBA 38, uh, which allows corporations to record the issuance or transfer of stocks on blockchain. Um, I just saw a press release last week that IKEA, which does biotech AI stuff, put $42 million um, of uh, securities on blockchain and they specifically cited SBA 38. And I sent it to the Senator who authored that bill. And we are so happy that this kind of legislation is making a real on the ground impact for businesses in California. Ali, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and giving us your time. It's a, the regulation and uh, legislation perspective is one that we are yet to have on this podcast. So I'm really excited for this uh, interview of sorts. Um, and I think it's uh, an area that not enough attention is being paid uh, to. Uh, there is being a ton of de 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 uh, there's a ton of development going on. Everyone's kind of heads down and building these platforms, and we aren't really focusing on how that's going to be integrated into the global politics sphere. Uh, so the more people we can get start to get, uh, the more people that we can get uh, conversing about this subject, the better. 
I kind of see it as uh, kind of similar to how Elon Musk is raising the red flag with AI and saying, hey, like everyone's building AI, but no one's paying attention to like the potential influences and impacts it's going to have on humanity. So we should pay attention to that a little bit more. So I have to applaud you as one of the few people that are uh, have has one foot in each camp of both crypto and legislation and just say, hey, thanks for for being the person to raise your hand and say, hey, I volunteered to, to, to do this. I do get paid. Fair, 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 right. To, to, to lead the charge either way. So you kind of mentioned one uh, that the legislation and framework around cryptocurrencies and blockchains w- was a mess. Like what were some of the terrible things you saw uh, when it came to like the, the way that governments or, or uh, states regulated crypto and blockchain? Well, I said that we had four different definitions for virtual currency by four different federal agencies. You know, it's mm. a security, it's a commodity, it's a currency, it's a property to the IRS. How they went with that, I'm not sure. Um, and that's on its face going to be a problem from a regulatory standpoint. If you have differing definitions and if you have the SEC and CFTC fighting for jurisdictionality and then FINRA is trying to get in there. Um, it's going to be confusing for businesses. Who, who do they have to answer to? There is no regulatory framework. These things aren't illegal in many cases. They're just new. Um, securities fraud is illegal, and some people are doing that, but it's not necessarily because it's crypto. It's because people are going to scam with whatever technology they can scam with. It's been happening mm-hmm. for centuries. Um, and then at a state-by-state state level, because of blue skies provisions for money transmitter licenses and also security laws, um, states can individually choose whatever money transmitter requirements they put in place, as well as kind of securities registration requirements. So I think, you know, if you look at Coinbase, they have 37 different money transmitter licenses. It can cost $20 million to make sure you are registered in every single state and with the federal government. And that is going to preclude people from entering the U.S. market. And it is causing a lot of businesses to go overseas. So when I started to learn this, I bet that if I could pull some data, I would find out that businesses were quickly leaving the U.S. And that turned out to be true. California and the United States as a whole has lost about 50% of the market share of crypto since 2012. Um, And I put that on a spiffy little graph and I gave it to a bunch of legislators and Governor Newsom and they were like, no way. We had no idea because no one's telling them, hey, we cannot do our business here. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is uh, a huge number. And that's actually something that we do talk about a lot. Um, Regulatory arbitrage is something that makes crypto... Um, protocols and Bitcoin, things like that, very anti-fragile, very robust. But at the same time, being United States citizens, wanting to have business here, wanting to have innovation here as you know, citizens of this country, that is really saddening to hear that regulatory confusion is kind of getting, into the way, getting in the way. Um, and that's something that you're looking to improve specifically with uh, a new bill that you put forward, uh, was it in February, AB9? 53. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this bill that you just introduced? Yes. And I don't think AB 953 is going to clear the regulatory framework up for the United States, but I think it's a significant step in government starting to embrace the technology. Um, What AB 953 does is it will enable cannabis companies to pay their taxes via stablecoin for the state of California. Um, And the reason why I went with this bill is because we have no alternative in California than to innovate in this space. Cannabis companies are using armored vehicles 
to pay their taxes with people with guns dropping off duffel bags full of cash into city halls to be counted by city staff. And then cities have to pay for their own armored vehicles to take those counted bags of cash to their banks and deposit it. The system is insane. The reason this is happening is that cannabis is not legal at a federal level for recreational or medicinal use. So banks um, are not offering accounts by and large cannabis companies. About 70% of the industry in California is unbanked. Of course, it's a very large industry. So we have millions of dollars of cash being passed around and that's not safe. It's antiquated. We can obviously do better. Unfortunately, the states tried and they failed to come up with a good alternative. For the past two years, they've had um, cannabis blockchain bank, I'm sorry, the cannabis banking working group, which was convened by the state treasurer, John Chung, the former treasurer. Um, after year one, he said, you know what? You guys should use armored cars. We're gonna study this more and try to come up with a solution. After year two of a very expensive report, um, they said, we don't have a solution. Uh, the federal government will have to change their laws. Um, also, there was one paragraph in there that said cryptocurrency has been suggested, but it doesn't work. And they did not explain why. I could not find any sources or citing on cryptocurrency in this 127 page document. I've never heard, um, I checked with as many businesses as I could. No one was reached out to in the industry from the people who provided this report to the state government. And I said, that's bullshit. We can do this with virtual currency and we can do it in a really smart way actually. Um, in November of last year, Ohio announced that it was going to start allowing commercial businesses to pay their taxes via cryptocurrency. And they kind of just bootlegged that by setting up a website and linking it through a PayPal wallet. Sorry, not PayPal, a BitPay wallet. Um, and then the government clears that out within 24 hours. One of the things that was noted in the cannabis report that I uh, really focused on was the need for a fail safe if there was going to be a fintech solution. And I don't think that provides a fail safe because of course the concerns about volatility in the crypto market. So what we brainstormed was to write a bill for the state of California that would require the use of stable coins because even if you don't transfer your crypto out into fiat quickly enough, having that stability in the price means that the state tax collection agencies are collecting the right amount from businesses. So both the state, the cannabis industry, and the citizens of California who are supposed to be getting that money are all getting a fair deal in this. And that sort of fail-safe um, is what made this bill attractive to legislators. And that's ultimately what enabled us to get it introduced this year. So is introduced, uh, what does that mean? Where is it in the process of becoming law? Okay, so um, the deadline to introduce bills in California is really early in the year. It's February 22nd. Our bill was introduced on February 20th. It was a chill week for me personally. <laughs> um, and it was introduced by Assemblymember Filting of San Francisco. Um, Phil Ting used to be the assessor of San Francisco, so he has a lot of knowledge about tax collection. He is acutely aware of the problems with cannabis industry, and he also chairs the state budget committee. And he knows that we're not getting, we're 80% less than we're supposed to be getting in terms of um, cannabis taxes. He's aware of the problem, and he saw this as a San Francisco-style solution. This is a good tech fix for this problem until the federal laws catch up. So um, he introduced the bill, and the next steps are, if you've ever um, listened to Schoolhouse Rock, is that it will go through committees. Mm -hmm. And then it'll go to the assembly for a floor vote. Then it'll go to all the same committees in the Senate, Senate for a floor vote. It'll go to conference committee in case there are any significant changes in that process. And then by, it needs to get through the Senate by September 13th. The governor, if it passes through there, the governor will have a month to sign this bill. So we are at the very beginnings of this, of this phase. 
yeah, it's been a few months for me, but for this bill, it's babe. It's a baby. Okay. So are there any other uh, pieces of legislation that you are paying attention to maybe outside of the state of California? Um, um, I know Wyoming is a very crypto friendly state by comparison. Uh, what other kind of legislation has been talking about cryptocurrency specifically? I think Wyoming's a great state to be paying attention to, and that is kind of what was the impetus of uh, businesses getting together and deciding to hire me to do this in California. Um, and I've been looking a lot at their laws, especially because California um, has introduced something, AB 1489, um, that uses the ULCs, the Uniform Law Commission's um, Virtual Currency um, Business Regulation Framework. And that is kind of the opposite of what Wyoming is doing, whereas Wyoming has an exemption for money transmitter licenses for virtual currency businesses. Um, a lot of other states, I think five this year, have introduced this ULC framework, which I understand is getting um, a lot of attention, a lot of it negative on crypto Twitter and Reddit. Um, so I'm paying close attention to what Wyoming's doing and really working with the author of AB 1489, who is Assemblymember Calderon, who introduced the working group bill that passed last year. He's a friend to the industry. Um, you know, Uniform Law Commission language is something that is highly respected. It's seen as something that's good to pass because then it gives cons consistency to regulation across all 50 states. And that's something we want to shoot for. But this bill in particular might be going too far in the regulatory compliance framework. It's getting called California's bill license. And I don't think that's entirely fair, but it's something we're going to have to work very closely with the author's office to help course correct. And um, we're starting that now. It's a two-year bill. It's not going to be rushed through. So that's another piece of legislation I'm carefully working on. Um, Colorado, um, I think they defined utility tokens uh, in a very similar way to Wyoming. That's fantastic. Um, their working group did a good job on that. We're seeing other states look at using virtual currency for taxes, but a lot of what we're seeing this year is the ULC language. And I think that's going to get more and more attention as those bills progress. So Ali, I actually want to dig a little bit more into this, uh, the ULC. Can you kind of speak a little bit more about how, you know, what that language is like and why you don't think that's better than what Wyoming is doing? It creates a regulatory framework that will require licensing or registration for businesses that might not currently require it under California's practices. Um, California, I think, should clarify what they're doing, which is sort of allowing the Department of Business Oversight on a case-by-case -case basis to decide um, that virtual currency businesses right now don't need money transfer licenses. They haven't required um, them so far, but they're reserving the right to do so. And I think that creates like this uncertainty. So I do think clarif clarification is great. I suggested an exemption like Wyoming, um, but we couldn't get anyone to pick that up this year. So maybe next year. Um, this bill will require a lot of licensing and registration, which I'm concerned will prevent people from registering and keeping their businesses in California. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, personally for me, I I'm much more on the light touch uh, bias when it comes to regulation. So when you kind of say bit license of California, that makes my skin crawl. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, that may be overstating the case a little bit. And it's not like the legislators coming at this, like, we want to get rid of these virtual currency businesses. We don't understand them. We're scared. The Uniform Law Commission is a group of lawyers who volunteer their time. And this, you know, this framework was created with Coin Center at every single meeting, helping inform the process. So it is meant to be sort of a, if you must regulate this and require some sort of licensing, here's a framework that is informed with which you can do so. Interesting. 
So I do kind of want to jump into the Wyoming thing. And honestly, I should have re-listened to this piece that I listened to earlier, but it was a fairly libertarian piece. And they were really kind of going line by line through the language that was used to define the cryptocurrency asset in Wyoming's framework. Mm-hmm. And it was extremely vague and open-ended. It pretty much said that anything, including, you know, I guess anything could be a virtual currency and could be subject to the the legislation, which didn't seem to really define all that much from what I can remember. Yeah, I think um, Wyoming is using a slightly different definition than what California put in last year. And what I recommended for um, both bills last year, first of all, I wanted to make sure they had the same definition for blockchain that was important, um, was to use Vermont's definition of blockchain. California has not defined virtual currency yet. There is a bill that has to do with how sales tax are apportioned um, that mentions virtual currency, but there's been no really attempt to define it yet. And I don't think that's a terrible idea. Um, I think maybe waiting until the industry has some standards and things are a little more mature, we could um, hold off. There is a a federal bill up um, from Doris Matsui, who is a Sacramento-based congresswoman. Um, She introduced a bipartisan bill to create a federal working group to create definitions. That is a fantastic idea. How would you say that the lack of definitions by on behalf of, of regulators is p- perhaps the worst problem that cryptocurrency has when it comes to regulation in the United States? I don't know if that's the worst problem. It's it's a problem. I think probably the SEC saying nothing and then doing crypto sweeps is a worse problem. Um, you know, I, the lack of clarity is a big one. Though. Morgan Stanley did this report a couple of years ago that showed the number one defining factor on where an exchange locates was based on clarity of regulation rather than laxity thereof. Um, and I think that's an important thing that I try to communicate to, um, to our legislators. I don't hear a lot of companies, I mean, there are a few, right? Crypto anarchists asking for zero government, total libertarian viewpoint. Um, but when we held a roundtable with Governor Newsom when he was on the campaign trail. And a couple of businesses in our organization said, hey, we want to pay taxes in California. I just got to figure out how I can legally be here doing that. And I think that's a pretty common sentiment. People are happy to do business in the state of California, knowing it has high taxes um, because they like the quality of life here and want to contribute to this environment of Silicon Valley and innovation. Um, but we have to make it easy for businesses to be compliant or else they will leave or operate non-compliantly. So with that being said, like what is the sentiment from Capitol Hill and from the legislators? Like, do they seem to be on board with, it seems like what you're trying to um, advocate for, which is like keep businesses here and make it easy to do business easily, you know, clearly and, and easily, or are they more scared and not understanding of this technology? There's a really big range, right? So most people have heard of Bitcoin. They know what a Bitcoin is. And there's a conflation between Bitcoin and all virtual currencies. Um, the news headlines really driven that there's Bitcoin, that is blockchain. And so I have to parse out blockchain is separate from Bitcoin. There's multiple types of virtual currencies. When I started talking about stable coins, there was a mind blowing moment. No one knew they existed. Um, not even the more tech savvy staff um, in the capital of Sacramento were really aware of stable coins. Though I was, I did some office visits um, when I was kind of talking about these bills and I was surprised several legislative directors and staff told me they held multiple types of virtual currency. So we do have some staff in there that are um, pretty savvy and pretty understanding of what these things are. These are the ones who are preparing the briefings for their legislators. Um, 
And there is an appetite to learn more. There have been multiple blockchain briefings. We helped host presentations at the Department of Business Oversight. They regulate all like consumer protections and financials uh, services for California. And um, it was really well attended. They had like 60 staff show up to learn more about how blockchain might impact real estate or smart contracts. Um, and I think there's an appetite to learn more. There's not so much fear as we just don't know exactly what this is. And so what's going to happen to my bill, I bet, is that I'm going to get referred to a bunch of different committees because I'm not sure exactly which box it fits in, which is almost good because then I get to go explain it again and again and again until everyone's so, comfortable. So I actually want to hear a little bit more about how you explain Bitcoin, blockchain, stable coins. Would love to kind of get your five minute pitch there. Okay. The way I explain, you know, I, I think I use a pretty common metaphor that, um, virtual currency, cryptocurrency um, is to blockchain, like what email was the internet. It was just the first thing people figured out to do with it. It's not the only thing you can do with blockchain. There's lots of different applications of blockchain. Um, you can do supply chain logistics. Maersk is doing it. Walmart's run tests. Everyone loves the example of finding Listeria on mangoes in every single store where they might've been contaminated within four seconds. That is everyone's favorite metaphor because it actually happened. It was a test that Walmart ran. It was mentioned in the um, U.S. Congressional Committee and it was prepared in the committee report. So it's a formalized document that I can point to from the federal government that explains how Walmart used blockchain to prevent food contamination. And that is a concrete case that people really connect to. Um, so that's a good one. For virtual currency, you know, frankly, I had a harder time describing it before I started talking about stable coins. People understand the concept of stable coins. I'm like, hey, remember early 70s when US dollars used to have gold in the bank to back them? Kind of similar, but with digital assets. People get that. Cool, easy peasy. Um, you you talked a lot about uh, how there are, and you, you alluded to how there are so many different industries, like there's the real estate side of crypto and blockchain, and then there's, you know, uh, digital goods side, and then there's the supply chain. So where, when it comes to figuring out how to correctly integrate a, a deep knowledge of the industry into governmental bodies, how do you how do you see that happening? Do you see like each individual? Um, do, do you or do you? Hmm, it's a hard question. Sorry. Um, no, I think I know what you're getting yeah, at. Yeah, like where, where right? is like, the regulatory body of cryptocurrency? Is it like spread out amongst a bunch of different organizations or is there actually like one one central organizing body that kind of just does touches on a little bit of everything? I think it's going to be spread out. It's not like California has like an internet regulatory authority, mm -hmm. you know? Um, that would be called the IRA and that would be bad. <laughs> um, uh, you know, some, Olga of Quantstamp described it really well to the Department of Business Oversight. Everyone here is using electricity and not too many of you can tell me what it actually, like what's happening at an electron level mm -hmm. when I flip on a light switch. But we know you flip the light switch and the light goes on and everyone uses electricity. Eventually blockchain is gonna get to that point where people know things are happening on blockchain. What really matters is that they understand what it can do. And that's where AB 953 is super helpful. The state of California is gonna establish standards for how to open up a wallet to accept taxes via virtual currency. That means the state will be using virtual currency. They'll know that that's a, a stable way for them to transmit value. What I expect to happen is if we pass this bill, cannabis companies pay their taxes for a couple of years, other businesses get wise to the fact that cannabis ca 
um, companies are paying their taxes in a way cheaper and more efficient way than they are, and they're going to want that applied to them. So we can start expanding the use of virtual currency at a government level. I expect to start having conversations with um, DGS and other internal departments about how they're tracking their supply orders. I think that'd be a great supply chain conversation. And just getting the government using this is probably, I think, one of the best conversation starters. What is blockchain? Well, you're already using it. That's how you get your cannabis money. That's how you get those cannabis taxes. That's amazing. Um, so quick question, just kind of getting into the details on the, on the actual bill, do you specify which kind of stable coins are allowed? I know there's like 15 of them now, some of which are backed by us dollars in the bank, some of which are algorithmic or backed by other cryptocurrencies. Um, which ones are, um, are you really focusing on here? We're focusing on fiat collateralized us dollar backed stable coins. Um, it just makes sense for the government to do business in something that is tied to the us dollar. Um, and I'm not going to explain diet everyone. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, d- do they actually cash out dollars or do they hold the currency? Um, we are going to be creating standards um, for how the government will handle this. What I'm going to envision is something pretty similar to Ohio where they have 24 hours to exchange it out for fiat. Um, but because it's in stablecoin, there's not really a risk within that 24 hours that the value would fluctuate. So I was curious, are there any like businesses or anything like that that are behind this or, or working with this bill? Yeah. And um, before I introduced this, I spoke to a lot of cannabis companies. And the fun thing about being mayor of a progressive city is I have some. Um, so I reached out to my local cannabis purveyors. And fortunately, East Bay Therapeutics is um, one that has a business open in Emeryville. And their owner, Nasser, is amazingly tech savvy. He's got a background in tech before he got into cannabis. And so he instantly was like, yes, let's pass this bill. He wants me to set him up with a crypto account next week. He wants to start taking cryptocurrency immediately because he sees how big of a thing this is for the industry. The Silicon Valley um, Cannabis Association supports this. Um, Medmin, which is a big chain. Um, I've got a lot of um, cannabis companies are really on board with this because the how much they have to pay to hire armored vehicles and plus the risk to their staff of carrying on cash is untenable. Even if this was volatile, they would want this even without stable coins, is what they told me. It's so important to them to have an alternative to currently armored cars. And they think this alternative is actually great. Yeah, I would actually tend to uh, believe that they would agree. I'm actually more shocked that there are not more cannabis businesses in the Bay Area that accept um, you know, Bitcoin, stable coins, anything. Uh, so it seems like it's predominantly cash uh, centric, you know, even even in a very tech forward city. You know, and I asked around about that because I was curious too, is, is anyone doing this? The answer that I was told by industry folks is they'd been approached by crypto companies. Crypto companies have thought of this before. This is not a genius novel idea I've stumbled upon. Everyone knows this is an option. Um, Cannabis companies are being taken advantage of by the financial sector pretty hardcore. If they do manage to get a bank account, they're being charged ridiculous rates to put cash in. They're charging them a percentage of the cash deposit. So they're scared of engaging with a new industry that has no consumer protection requirements that could just rip them off too, frankly. So if we work with a state to create clear guidelines and requirements, that's what they're interested in doing. What definition of virtual assets are you advocating for? Right now, the bill actually just says using virtual currency and then creates regulation for what kinds they require. We're not, has not yet defined it. And we might get to that. Um, And what I would actually recommend is taking the ULC's definition, because I don't think their definition is problematic. It's it's pretty fine. Um, It's a little long for my taste, but uh, I think using ULC language 
really helps your committees, which, you know, do the really technical work of taking apart the bill word by word and making sure it's not going to have any adverse impacts. Um, having vetted language like that, that's gone through, you know, a hundred lawyers in a room looking at it, um, helps committees wrap their heads around this and say, okay, this is language we can move forward. So in addition to cannabis and, and blockchain, what other industries do you think could be really helped by clarity and regulation? Um, you know, I would love to, uh, I'll be working on this money transmitter, virtual um, business regulation a lot, because I think that's going to be really important for either keeping businesses in California or destroying the fragile ecosystem we have right now. It's going to be a lot of my focus. I think real estate is a fascinating potential use case. I would love to see uh, mortgages, escrow. Um, I know Proppy is doing great work recording land titles in the blockchain. They've got a... Um, a pilot in Vermont right now. And um, I brought them up to Sacramento with me uh, last year to talk to legislators because they're, everyone knows that's not efficient. And this is such a great use. Notaries are another one. There is a bill this year that doesn't say anything about blockchain, but it wouldn't allow um, notary, notarization of records over the internet. And the only companies I know of that are doing that are definitely blockchain based. So I think um, things like that, where there are intermediaries are really obvious places to go with this. So what would that, that look like if a notary would uh, be allowed to operate with a blockchain? How does that impact uh, the industry? How does that work? Well, I, I think there'd probably be fewer people with notary licenses with little signs outside of their house. So like, can, can I, am, I am actually not up to speed with what a notary actually does. <laughs> so we... it's um, I have to use a notary a lot, actually, because when um, the city passes an ordinance, uh -huh. Sometimes I have to have an, I, as the mayor, have to sign it notarized. And we have, fortunately, a staff member now who is a notary. So I just go in and he's at, like, we text about when I'm going to be there and he's going to be there. And he looks at my ID, he thumbprints me and has me sign something in front of him and then, like, puts his own thumbprint next to it. It is such a weird mm -hmm. process to be doing in 2019. Um, so I think a blockchain-based notary system would essentially probably use something like this where you could see the other person over the internet a skype like platform or zoom or whatever um and then the verification of that would be a smart contract based sort of thing you know i've looked at block notary and stampery i think are both companies that are doing notarization on blockchain i think that's really interesting and it just speeds up a lot of processes if you don't have to go see somebody in person to notarize a document does that kind of get into the hairy subject of identity because uh somebody stamping a document I'm, I'm assuming you're you're what we're talking about here is leveraging public private key cryptography and so mm -hmm. then then we are automatically associating one person's identity with a public key and their stamp of approval with the signature from their private key um, but then we all we have the issue of somebody can steal their their private key i guess in the same way somebody could also steal their stamp so maybe it's not really all that different um have you have have has the topic of identity come up yet in the world of of regulation? No, honestly, in California, probably at a federal level, there's some discussions going on. But in California, no. Um, I do know there's you know California-based businesses like Civic that are doing work around sovereign identity, and there's a lot of conversation around owning your own data and that sort of thing. Malta is way ahead of the curve on that, um, and I think that's a really interesting set um, of legislation to look at has, um, how Malta is. A, kind of putting identity on blockchain. Um, one thing that I have heard talked about, and I'm, are you familiar with Brian Ford? He ran for Congress as the crypto candidate. Oh, Brian's great. He was from MIT's um, blockchain media lab. 
not sure the exact title of it. He was the first person to write a memo on what is blockchain for the White House. He gave that to President Obama. Must have been a fun conversation for him. Um, and he really was proposing, uh, we talked a lot about this, that the DMV should start, first of all, probably just being burnt down and built from scratch, <laughs> and this time use blockchain. Nice. Um, they attempted to put voter registration, motor voter bill, right, last year, two years ago, um, so that you could automatically be registered to vote when you're getting a license or something. And it came out last year that 23,000 or something registrations were wrongly executed. So people's party preference was wrong or whether or not they were registered was wrong. And that is an unacceptable error. You cannot have a government agency deny people their right to vote in a primary. That's not okay. Um, so I think there's going to be a reckoning for that agency in California. And I'm going to be there pushing for us to look at blockchain technology um, to help improve that. So my personal candidate of choice for the 2020 election, Andrew Yang, has talked a lot about uh, using a blockchain for, you know, recording votes and everything. Do you have you been mm -hmm. following what he's been saying with that? Yes, I have. And I think there's some fascinating pilots. Um, you know, Votes has been uh, working in West Virginia to allow overseas service members to vote, um, which has been a problem apparently since the Civil War. I did some research on that. Cal no state or con there's never been a national effort to really solve the problem of overseas service members who are literally dying for a country to be able to vote in elections, which is so terrible for our democracy. And even people living overseas doing Peace Corps or whatever, are just generally not able to effectively vote. Most of those votes don't get counted. So only I think like 60 people voted when they did in the primary, but they were all considered successful votes. And so they ran it again in the general. And Denver this year is gonna be running a closed loop um, municipal election on a blockchain for overseas service members as well. And that was done, I think, between a hackathon with Ethereum Denver and the National Center for Cybersecurity. Unusual pairing, but they made it work. This last ETH Denver? Um, the one before that, they started this project and the National Center for Cybersecurity picked it up and said, yeah, we're going to do this. And Denver is very interesting. Their registrar of voters is separate from the Secretary of State. So they can they can run their own elections however they want. That's very cool. Which I am so cool. impressed by. Yeah, I, um, I really thought that was interesting. And I think, you know, West Virginia is one thing. 60 votes is one thing. If Denver pulls this off. Um, you better believe I'll be forwarding these articles to our secretary. Right, state. right. And I, I would imagine as an, an electoral system, it would get adopted by the states first before it got federal. How feasible mm -hmm. would a federally run blockchain based election be? Like how crazy of an idea is that right now? Right now, that's unconstitutional um, because states have the right to conduct elections. Wait, I'm talking about like for a presidential candidate? Yeah, because each state um, gets to choose how they actually run the election. That's why we have secretaries of state. Um, so it would be very difficult. And that's why we have such a piecemeal kind of mess of voting systems. You know how there's voter repression and voter ID laws in some states and not in others. Um, again, what you would probably see is like some more tech savvy states, hopefully California, We'll adopt this technology more quickly. Okay, so then, then you know, best case scenario, there would be fifty different blockchain-based elections, and then we would be able to collect all those all at once. Best case, best case scenario, scenario, but I cannot tell you. I I don't see that happening soon. What I actually think is a really interesting idea, and I haven't told too many people about this, um, so I hope I don't get flamed for it. Is the Democratic Party of California 
is in May hosting a, a massive election for chair. Um, the last election came down to a difference of 60 votes out of 3,000 that can be cast by voting members of the California Democratic Party. These people all live in different districts. You can't do a door-to-door -door campaign because the party that's 3,000 people spread out across California. That kind of thing should be done on blockchain, obviously, because right now it's literally done with paper ballots and there's just this excruciating counting period. And the results were challenged last time. And it was always kind of unclear what came out of that. They just decided to not do a recount. So I think I would love to see um, state parties or like the Iowa caucuses start using this. I think that is a very good use of this technology. So I kind of want to change the direction a little bit here. And I kind of want to get a better understanding of like, what is the uh, lobbying environment for cryptocurrency, digital assets, um, blockchain? Like, what is the trend when it comes to lobbyists? How often do you interact with other blockchain cryptocurrency lobbyists? And, you know, what is the, like, is there a general message that they're pushing or their competing sides? Um, you know, in California, I'm pretty alone, uh, which is almost surprising that I there's not other organizations doing this work. It's kind of just me, uh, which in a way is nice because, you know, the messaging can be consistent and what I want it to be. Um, but but also I find it a little shocking that we have multi-billion dollar companies um, that aren't really doing aggressive lobbying in the state where they do the most business. You know, uh, Coinbase so Coinbase doesn't, doesn't have, have a lobbyist. lobbyist. Nope, I just met with Coinbase today. They do not have a California lobbyist. A sixteen Z, nothing. Nope. Do you think it's because it's Very the bear market? Interesting. I don't know. They, um, I haven't found one registered for either of them in the last couple of years either. So I think there just hasn't been an emphasis on states, which maybe makes sense for most states, but. It doesn't really make sense for California. California can leave the country. Um, one bill that I floated, it didn't get picked up, but I, you know, I'm gonna, that's normal. <laughs> I, you keep introducing the idea. Um, I wanted to write a bill that would direct the working group to look at you creating a safe harbor for the state of California. Um, I don't think this would happen next year or even the year after that, but I think possibly in like a three-year cycle, we could start creating a, a framework of feasibility for this. And if California did something that big, it would force the SEC, it would force the federal government to change their approach, frankly. So wait, what, what would that, what does being a safe harbor even mean? Um, a safe harbor could essentially mean because the federal government can uh, regulate all interstate commerce, right? But they can't regulate under a safe harbor intrastate. So Right now, a lot of the times when you're doing ICOs, only accredited investors or people overseas can buy in. If you were to do a safe harbor in California, you could potentially open up the market to the entire state of California and overseas. We would just be essentially opting out of the U.S.'s regulatory. For ICOs? Yeah, for ICOs, you could write it to encompass whatever you wanted, really. But there is um, an SEC regulation, Rule 147, that does allow for a safe harbor. So I'm trying to understand, though. Uh, so was there something that people are, are thinking about creating a safe harbor against securities laws? Is that is that what they're considering? I've seen so um, I Cooley and Anderson Horovitz at a federal level met with the SEC and sort of proposed a safe harbor framework. The SEC is probably not going to take this up anytime soon. I think we could readapt this just for the state of California because we have enough of the market and just do it for California and wait for the rest of the country to catch up, frankly. So this is something that I'm actually pretty well exposed to. Um, and since we are so close to the launch date, I'll just be able to explain a little bit more than what's actually being able to be found on the internet right now. But I'm working on a platform called Realty, uh, and it's a tokenized real estate platform. And we are not allowed to sell to unaccredited U.S. investors. 
because the SEC says no. Uh, and so what we're doing is is we are purchasing homes where we started in Detroit and we have like four homes that we've bought and then we're get, putting them inside of an LLC and we're tokenizing the LLC and selling it to the internet. I think we are probably going to run into a bunch of political issues because basically what's probably going to happen is we're going to end up selling a bunch of uh, Detroit houses to Chinese investors and Americans are going to get cut out of that and they're going to get really upset that there are these pieces of property inside the United States that can't be bought by the average citizen of the United States. Uh, and so I think as more and more of this infrastructure gets built, more and more of America's uh, resources are going to be sold only to outside investors because of the way that securities laws are work. Uh, and so hopefully that puts enough pressure on the SEC to, to kind of rework the, uh, the Jobs Act and kind of tone down the level of restrictions that are on U.S. investors. I think that's a fantastic example of um, why there is a need for some change in our regulations. Um, and, you know, I don't think California is going to pass a safe harbor anytime soon or unless there's a much bigger, more concerted political effort around this. But I am trying to put that out as the high bar of what they could do if they really wanted to, like, keep the crypto industry here um, so that we have a reach goal and then some smaller steps that I'm taking along the way. Cool. Well, Ali, I think this is a fantastic time to sort of wrap things up. But my last question here is around Bitcoin. If you could define Bitcoin in 10 words or less, how would you do it? I know this is a tough one. Am I defining it for a legislator? I'll just do that because I'm used to doing that. Bitcoin is a virtual currency run on a blockchain. Um, it is the first virtual currency. What happens if you have uh, 50 words? Then I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> Better to stick with 10. Amazing. Well, there's some incredible insights in this interview. Again, we wanted to bring you on just because you have such a unique perspective and you are really getting, you know, kind of down and dirty in the political process and advocating for cryptocurrency. Ali, you know, if you have any asks from our audience, what would it be? Who do you want to hear from? Um, yeah, I think businesses that are interested in taking a more active role in regulation um, probably don't want to hire your own lobbyist necessarily, uh, but might want to join an organization that's doing so. You can catch us at blockadvocacy.org or reach out to me directly at ali at blockadvocacy.org. We need more people to get involved in this. I know the market's not great for it, but now's the time to lay the regulatory framework out. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank and you. where can people find you? Um, www.blockadvocacy.org. Do you have a Twitter handle or anything like that? Oh, my personal one is Evil Alley, <laughs> E-V-I-L-L-E, because Emeryville. <laughs> um, it's just a really fun city to make puns with. Um, but our our professional Twitter is BlockAdco. Wonderful. All right, Ali, thanks so much for your time and for your perspectives. Super valuable stuff in here. We will be sharing this a number of times. Thank you both for having me. And David, I want to talk to you more about Realty. Hopefully, I'm, I'm trying to get this thing up and running in about like eight days. So hopefully you'll be able to experience the website for yourself. But yeah, we, I'll, reach, I'll hit you up on Twitter. Great. Bye. All right, guys. That was Ali Medina. Ali, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate your valuable perspective. Po politicians who can understand crypto and blockchain are worth more than developers on base core protocols. 
Uh, we need those people fighting for us, fighting for the industry, because at the end of the day, we're all crypto maximalists. And so we need crypto adoption in our regulatory bodies. Really excited that Ali came on. I think she brings a super interesting perspective on what is actually going on from a regulatory perspective. Um, you know, I wish that she did kind of go into some more of the definitions and details, especially of like how she explained those kind of things uh, to people um, who are making these decisions and who are writing these bills. Um, I was trying to press her on that. But overall, I thought that she did give a lot of clarity into what is important to legislators. And I definitely think all of you guys need to look up uh, ULC, which apparently is this universal code that's being written with Coin Center to um, define, you know, how this should be done. And apparently it's very heavy handed. So that was quite worrisome. So I'm going to do some more research in that and probably go on Twitter and try to uh, tweet about what I think. And with that being said, you guys know where you can find the show. The show is at POV Crypto Pod on Twitter. You can find me, CK, on Twitter at CK underscore snarks. David, where can they find you? You can find me at Trustless State both on Twitter and on Medium. Please rate and review the podcast. We need to get those reviews. That's how we develop and grow. So we love you guys. We love producing content for you guys. And we love receiving reviews from you guys. So please do it. As well as crypto, we got some donations from some wonderful listeners. So yeah, we'll take your crypto too. We're here waiting for all of the blessings to be bestowed on us from doing this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until next time, guys. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Will you just